Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. We're back at full strength. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. In a way, we never left. That's totally unrelated to the thing Glenn said. We, we, we never left. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. That turned quickly. Yeah. <laughs> a man rejoining us after uh, not being on the show so he could bring a group of people to serve at Glenn's ministry, but Glenn will still guilt him about it. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Well, I feel like say that was on like a power, like a negative power play in hockey. Sure, we were a man down, red card, man down, and also, I thought there was going to be a little more loyalty. But when Jed said we never left, I really found out where I stood. <laughs> what were yeah. you basing that assumption of loyalty on? Because it wasn't the past. Yeah. Fellas, uh, tell you how I feel about all this. Tell me. We're just ready to get down to this wisdom. Really? Yeah. You know what I like to do? Let's 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 cut the the. You know, let's stop faffing about. Yeah, quit the chit chat. Quit, quit the the the. Well, we're gonna have babble. to keep up with the chit chat because it's an audio medium. That's really all we have. Oh, we well, sit silently. That'll there. be yeah. Oh, we already just want to chit chat about the topics we have for today. Yeah, yeah. Let's get down to the hardcore. Just get wisdom. after it. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sure, sense. Get to, to the heart of matters, as they do yeah. in the little place I like to call Omaha. Well, yeah. let's do it. Wow, well, this, this will be the 280th about. time we have done. As we are at episode 280. That's kind of crazy. Wow. People listen of, to a lot of these. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot that's of episodes. Yeah. Well, our first question comes in. Oh, my goodness. Episode 280. Wait a second, fellas. I have to declare a numerology emergency. Whoa. That's my favorite. It's certainly comment. not a timing emergency. That, is, this, is this a real emergency, Jed? It is a genuine Bible number numerology number code emergency. Now, is, does this involve math? A little bit. I was told in very strict terms there would be no math. Yeah, involved. but this involves fake math. Oh, does okay. bi- does biblical numerology uh, involved wishful thinking? A lot of wishful thinking. What about magic and witchcraft? Also, magic <laughs> and witchcraft. Why but is it a movie trailer? <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Do I you sound can't stop now? That's in a world. Do I sound breathless? Because I totally am. I'm about to break down some truth. Uh, oh, I'm about to, to the men in this audience what they don't want you to know. <laughs> I feel like Jed's going to try to sell me gold at the end of this. Is this infomercial, Jed? Is it, this for your neuro enhancer? I have a neuro enhancer. We'll get to that. <laughs> but first, it turns out. The number seven is the biblical number of completion. Right. The Lord God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested, signifying so, the completion of that creation. But but six would be like the number of like that it was actually done. Forget yeah. it, he's rolling. On six. Seven <laughs> is the biblical number of completion. Uh-huh. Now, Glenn, you might be wondering, what's the biblical number of challenge, of punishment, of testing? I'm glad you asked that. Is it 27? No. Is that's it 32? That's a stupid reply, and you're stupid for <laughs> suggesting it. The biblical, biblical. the biblical number of testing is 40. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. Right. Noah spent 40 days on the ark. 40 is the biblical number of testing, cleansing, and punishment. Now, Glenn, you're probably already thinking, Jed, I think if you multiply 7 by 40, you get an interesting number. You're right, Lee. Is it 327? No. Is it... Well, now you're just trying to do anti-math. <laughs> Seven times 40 is 280. Right. He's got an engineering degree. I think we should trust him. Matt, what episode did you say we're recording right now? This would be episode 280. We have completed seven, the biblical number of completion. Our 40, our period of testing. It's certainly feeling like it right now. In the eyes <laughs> of God, the Say That podcast is no longer under probation. 
Okay. Uh, right. Sure. Granted. Uh, does this have anything to do with an influence on anyone's real life? No. Okay. Numerology never does. <laughs> do you have several books you would like to sell us? I have several books available for purchase in the Narthex, all about what they don't want you to know. Do you have a show on that's on the History Channel for some reason, somewhat early in the morning? When it's too early for real history, but it's this kind of stuff? Yes, I do. Oh. It technically counts as educational. Jed, do you know the those. actual whereabouts of Noah's Ark? Of course I do. If you take the number 280, <laughs> oh, Lord. you divide it first by the number 4, add the number 3, subdivide by the number 1, and differentiate by the number 1. What do 4, 3, 1, and 1 all have in common? They are similar, if flipped upside down, to the letters in hell. The word wow. hell. I feel like he's making this up, but I don't know enough about math to refute him. It well, really makes you think about what <laughs> they don't want you to know. I think I've seen this YouTube video before. Hypotenuse. <laughs> Very good. That's a math thing. You mathed. Yeah. Well, you contributed to math. Good job. Yeah. If, yeah. you know, in a spiritual sense, if we've um, completed, you know, our, our probationary period. Sure, we're ready to start. Um, like now, I mean, normally, like when you start a job, right? You're in a probationary period. You can be fired for any reason, right? right, right. And then you know you have certain, you know, you're like an established employee, right? Right, you, right. You maybe take a little longer lunch, this kind of thing. Right. Now that you know God's no longer threatening to fire us, because that's right. what you know the numbers say, right? What, sure, what science? What kind of freedoms do we want to enjoy now with the podcast? Now that we can kind of you know get away with. You're saying now that our benefits have kicked in. Exactly right. We the, the podcast has a 401k. Sure. You know right, we we right. get vacation time now. Sure. Um, Ma- matching up to three percent internet dollar donation. Exactly right. You're, you're saying we are inevitable. It, that's what I'm saying. In yes. every way. Yes. There's, there's no stopping the inevitability of this podcast. Yeah, we are the sound of inevitability, Agent Smith. So what do we want to do now that we have arrived at that point? Well, I think uh, uh, first and foremost, and I've said this many times before on the podcast, gold bidet. Ooh, that's that, good. That's If you gave me a zillion dollars, that's the first thing I'm going to hook like up. Like it's made of gold or it shoots gold? Or maybe I don't want to know. Well, uh, I think... <laughs> I said I don't want to know. I, you know no. what I, you know, no. I, I think it, it's, uh, it, yeah, yeah, Moving okay, on. yeah. Jed <laughs> sounds like he had another question. Glenn, it's interesting that you want a gold bidet. Oh no! Do you know the one investment that historically has never gone down in value is gold? I think so I not true. Saw that on a commercial once. Gold, but it it has lost value many times, hasn't yeah. it? Never gone down it's worth in less value. Perhaps now that it has been really at any point in history, right? <laughs> okay, so gold, gold bidet. I mean, what else we got? You know, I mean, employee lounge, obviously. Yeah, I think sure. um, uh, a throne. Just to you've, sit on. A it's throne. been a long time since you've had a real job, hasn't it? It really has. Throne is. I don't think is con- normally considered in the benefits package. I feel oh. like I, I don't, you know, a lot of times at, at jobs you have kind of a, a, you know, people can have a smoke break if they're smokers. And totally, yeah, I love that. None of us are really smokers. Yeah. But Incense break. We we could have a, but we could have a like a judgment break. Ooh, like, I like ooh. that. Since we're kind of spiritually tenured, you know, we could take a five minute break where we're allowed to judge whomever we want. Yeah, that's oh good. yeah, that's good. That's good. I got a lot of people I'd want to judge. I we call that too. lunch here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think. What's what's important for us to to focus on is training wheels are off, y'all. This is what I'm saying. Sure, this is uh, full steam ahead. Yeah, because up to now, we, I think all of us, if we're going to be honest, holding ourselves back a little bit. I agree. Sure, we didn't want to make any waves. Didn't want to ruffle any feathers. That's right. Like, hey guys, let's keep it cool. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, now we don't have to do that. Now we can just go nuts. We let it all hang out. We can get apy. Yeah, I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so what do we want to do with that? I think we need a new beef. 
I mean, mm. you know, we've really enjoyed those for the years. Mm. We haven't had any in a while. You know, it's been a while since we've really engaged in a beef. Yeah, it really has. I Maybe felt- now that we're not a probationary podcast, we can actually get some response to a beef. Yeah. Well, wow. you know, that's the thing about the Joel Osteen beef that we had for a long time. Sure. I mean, that was an epic battle. Right, yes. I mean, a, like a, a, a conflagration. It yes. was like a world war. Yes. Between us and, and Joel Osteen. Just a really severe beef. Yes. And uh, it's like, uh, how do you, you know, how do you top that? Yeah. How no, do you, you know, how do you, how do you get back to that? You know? Sure. Yeah, that's tough. That is tough. What, do you have any ideas on it? Well, we could, we could I, beef with? one possibility is people who are already dead. Oh, I think it's a great possibility. Oh. You know, start, start a beef <laughs> At with At least then we'd have a built-in excuse for them not to reply to us. Yeah, a historical uh, figure. Beefs, sure. You know. Sure, I like it. Uh, uh, another another possibility is just pick a denomination. Ooh, that's you know? very good. That's kind of what just, we do in our real life, but okay. Yeah, yeah just uh, beef with them. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, we we had in this country what we called a war on terror. Mm. So apparently you can start a beef with a, a concept. Okay. Sure. Just an idea. <laughs> okay. Or a feeling. Sure, yes. So- there's a lot of there's a lot of things. If you were to pick a feeling that you want to beef with, I mean, there's a lot of good options. But uh, what do you feel like would be the at least at the top of your list? I think the the feeling that I most would want to start a beef with is uh, bloated. Okay, okay. Sometimes it's I more feel of a physical sensation. Then I thought Ooh. you were going to choose earnestness. Uh, the, the earnestness and and bloated. I hate being bloated. Sure. That's a bad feeling. Sure, yes. Right. Uh, but. When someone is really earnest in church in a way where it feels like they're kind of rubbing your nose in it and they've got the sweater on (laughs) and there's like just, you know, right now, we just want to take this time. Yeah. Ah. And we want to. I got it. Yeah. The war on. mm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We are declaring war on. war. mm. mm, mm. Right now we just. mm. Lord, we just. I also, can we can we put just the word really. "just"? Oh yeah, with the um. Well, we're gonna have it's gonna it's gonna escalate. There'll be the war on right now. There'll yeah. be the war on just. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, and 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 people who say the word "Father God" seventeen times in one prayer. Yeah, yeah, all of and that. And Father God is not two words. That's one word. Father God. Right. It's Father syllable. God. Yeah. 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 Um, you know what? I think. Uh, I think we're I think we're dancing around the main thing. Hit me, lay it on me. It's time to declare war on Christians. <laughs> oh my lord! We we um, all we were all oh, leaned up nope. to it. <laughs> Little much. We were all leaned up to it. You I know, know there. I mean, look at the pain and the behind these people are causing <laughs> the world, and they're dragging us down with them. It's time we're doing this, people. There are going to be we? meetings, probably. <laughs> You Probably know what? On, on that basis, I'm going to declare a very self-protective <laughs> yeah. emergency off. Ooh, that's a whole. Oh, that's oh, that's oh, that could have been too real. Somebody get the fire yeah. extinguisher. <laughs> that stopped being a bit and just became the conversation we have at lunch on Tuesday. So a little much on that. Then now we we have not declared war on Christians. Can't be clear enough on that. If you're any kind of um, listening governing body or national agency would not declare war on Christians or any other ideology. Say that podcast welcomes and loves people of all stripes. I think the correct term is fatwa. No, I was super hoping you weren't going to say that. That was really the, <laughs> in my mind. Um, but we, you can tell we haven't declared war on the Christians because we do nice things for the Christians. Like every month we put out Bridgebox. Right, it's got that's sermons nice. and songs and Bible studies to help the people and uh, you know all around a topic from someone's real life. So we're still in the month of August. This month's topic is how do I grieve? So you got wonderful songs written by Jed and Lee. And we have one from our friend Nino this month. We have a track from the ever mysterious and reclusive pool house guru, which you'll hear at the end of this episode. We got all sorts of good stuff, Bible studies, sermons that Glenn and I preached at the bridge, all sorts of other goodies. We put that out every month. It's only $8. That's you, you, if you were declaring warm someone, you wouldn't give them such a wonderful deal. We we're declaring a war on high prices. <laughs> Much like some of your finer, some of your finer automakers. Um, so we put that in a month. It's great. MissionUSA.com slash You can go over and check it out for yourself. Tell you what, we're being so kind. If you go over there, even if you don't sign up, there's free stuff you can download. You can just have it. Yeah. 
And if you want to preview the kind of stuff that's in Bridgebox, you can check out our Bridge podcast. It comes out every Monday. Yeah. Here's some uh, some previews of the stuff that's going to be on there. So it's missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. We're going to move on to our first question on this episode here. Came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. If you hang up this all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways you can get in touch with this. This person wrote in and says, What's your take on how much of our lives we should devote to secular work? Though I acknowledge it's important to work excellently as if for the Lord, is worldly achievement our goal? E.g., a higher salary, senior positions, longer hours, management, influence. Some people say that it's a way to be a testimony in a secular work culture. Some people say that it's focusing on worldly achievement. What's the line between work, ministry, and conforming to the world? A fine question, something we all deal with uh, from time to time. As you may have heard in the emergency segment, it's been a while since any of us have had what would be considered a real grown-up job. <laughs> so in some ways, we may not exactly be the people to take on this question, but... We know people who have real jobs. Sure. We, we ask uh, questions of them confusedly. Conference room? Uh, am I saying that right? So, but we have all have had real jobs. We've all existed. I think it's pronounced room. Oh. oh. Yeah, that sounds good. That makes it more disturbing that they're having that meeting at 9 a.m. in the conference room. <laughs> the conference room. <laughs> yes, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yes. yes. But we have all had dealings with, with this kind of stuff. And Jed, I'd love you to start us off because you've had maybe the most dealings with a strict corporate structure I mean, on the show. So wh- what do we say about those? Sure. Well, I'm really glad that you wrote in. It's a great question. Uh, the short answer is that there isn't one right answer to this, because what really matters is what God is calling you specifically right. to do in your life. Um, g- there are some people, I have no doubt, that God calls to go be a monk and live in a monastery, and uh, they're not meant to have any involvement with the secular work world. Uh, they They're they're called to be in the monastery. There are other people uh, that God calls to be neurosurgeons, and they are, given that calling, meant to go to an unbelievable amount of school and work super hard and, and get super good grades. There are people that God calls to be C-suite executives, your CEO and your COO and your CMO, and they are called to you know uh, have you're, senior— You're making those letters up, right? I, I'm not, actually. Only two of the three. Uh, those things involve higher salary and senior positions and long hours and all the things that you mentioned. But God also calls some of us to be baristas. Uh, and there's That's nothing, right. here's the key thing is in the kingdom of God, there's nothing greater or lesser about Amen. any of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those is not more important than the other. Like parts of a body. Exactly right. We're one body with many parts. That's good. Did you make that up? Yes. That's sharp. Yeah. We should write a book about that. Yeah. Um, so the thing of it is that Where we get into trouble is when we take the world's view that the neurosurgeon is more important than the coffee shop guy, Mm -hmm. Um, because the world does feel that way. The Bible doesn't agree with that at all. Uh, The Bible says that we are all one in Christ, as Glenn put it, one body with many parts. But again, where it gets complicated is God has different callings for different people. Um, And we have to, each of us has to discern and pursue God's calling for our individual life. And for some of us, that may involve a ton of achievement in a secular context. And for others, it may involve hardly any. One is not better than the other. They're, They're just different. This is the other thing I'll add to it before we kick this around, is that your calling, the way that it lives out anyway, can change throughout your life. Um, you may be in a season where you're called to be the dude at Starbucks today and 10 years from now, you're called to something very, very different. That's, that's fine. That doesn't mean that what you're doing today is lesser and that what you're doing 10 years from now is more important. They're just, they're different seasons in your life. The, The thing that matters is, are you responding to the call that God has before you today? Um, in a weird way, that can be a little bit scarier because if we just gave you a rule and we said this much secular involvement is good, past this is bad, well, then you could just kind of know, uh, you know, you, you could check that that block. But if we say you really need to get a sense of the Lord's calling and you really need to respond to that, well, that's a much more mystical yeah. process in a way. It's, it's, it's something that you really have to pray through and think through and, and talk through with others. But it's worth doing that because the calling that God has for your individual life is important. And we don't want to see you sell that short by just trying to follow <laughs> rules instead of following the Lord. That's absolutely right. I think that's a very important and smart place to start the discussion. Glenn, I'd love to get a you on this because they're uh, outs- tied up in work. There are a number of things. There's, as Jed is pointing out, there's uh, society, like our friend in the question said, there's money, there's standing, there's stress. There's all sorts of stuff that uh, is bound up in what we consider work culture. And to have the the very good uh, perspective that Jed starts off with, you have to, about work, you have to almost take the same thing with all those constituent pieces of mm-hmm. uh, there. Are some people God is going to 
want to have a huge amount of stature in this one community and not in this other. There are some people who God wants to have a serious amount of money and not the other. So right. as we're picking through all the things that people try to get from work, how do we apply this? How do we apply the structure to all that? Well, I think ultimately, <laughs> I think you have to start from the end and work your way to the beginning. The mm-hmm. end point is, uh, what is it that we... Uh, how are we going to be judged, and 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 how do we want that to go? What is it that we want the Lord to say about what we did for Him at the end of our lives? And what He's going to be evaluating there is what we did with what we have. Some of us have more, some of us have less. If you do a lot of work, then you will have more that you can do stuff with. Uh, but I think part of the, the burden that people feel on this is, if I work harder, I have more stuff to do good for the kingdom, but I have less time and energy as a result. And um, all I really have is money at the Mm -hmm. end of that process. Well, here's what I would like to say to you as a person, uh, and this is, uh, you know, uh, three out of four of us on this podcast are familiar with this territory. We rely on cash donations from individual Christians. It's how we pay our rent. This is how we put gas in the car and do the ministry we do. These are uh, donations from individual Christians who want to support what it is that we're doing. Uh, what I can tell you is those people are heroes. Oh, and yeah. They are rare, and they are amazing, and they are in the minority. Right. There you yep. you you don't know that sitting in the pews until you go out and raise money you don't realize who's really being generous with uh, the resources that they have and who isn't in terms of financial resources we're talking about here mm-hmm. so the truth is it, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you uh, going out and working a job that happens to have crazy long hours that also happens to pay a significant amount of money and that that money becomes the main thing that you're doing for the kingdom. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. That's not lesser than, as, as, uh, as Jeb was going into in, in detail, uh, all of us have a different part to pay, uh, a part to play. And the, the truth is, uh, well, I guess it Freudian. is a, sort of a Freudian thing. But the thing is, uh, that financial piece is essential. Yep. To every ministry operation there is. Yep. I mean, I talk to people all the time. They're like, "Well, I don't want to just give money." Well, first of all, you 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 do. You want to, you want to start by giving money. Yep, that's really important. Uh, we can't operate this ministry that we're on. Uh, the other ministries that you know and that you love and that you hear about that you think are cool in the world. They don't operate on well wishes. They don't pay their rent based on warm thoughts. It's yeah. it's cash money that gets that done. And yes, once you're invested financially, uh, then uh, there's a process where your your heart is going along with that, as the Bible says. And then that it will open up different things where you can be involved, maybe in a volunteer basis, or you do other sorts of things with that. Maybe help provide services for that for that ministry and so forth. But here's the thing is that um, if you're going to give money, and I, I can't stress this enough, it needs about doing that, be about doing that well and doing it in a really intentional way. I don't get nearly enough hard questions about what, where our money goes and what it does. And that bothers me, and I'll tell you why it bothers me, is because I have a really good answer to that. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Nobody ever asked me. You know, that uh, we stretch a dollar further than you would could possibly imagine. That's true for a lot of missions organizations yeah. around around the world uh, or individual missionaries. They they really can you know, get a lot more ministry done per dollar than most uh, certainly than almost any church you've ever heard of. So I think it's about recognizing that asking those hard questions will actually increase both your effectiveness, but also your 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 sense of impact that you're that you deserve to have on this thing, and to invest yourself deeper and deeper in how do I make sure this dollar goes the furthest? How do I make sure it gets where it really needs to go? What is it I'm really burdened for? What is it I'm really mm-hmm. excited about? There's nothing wrong with starting with that financial piece, and then getting to a place where you say, you know what, I'm working a little too hard. What I need to do is I need to take a break, take some vacation time. I need to go to where this missionary is that I'm supporting and, and find out more of what's going on there and what else I can do to help 
and how, what sort of things I can do to contribute so that you're, you're, the whole thing is coming alive for you in a way. So it's about recognizing if you're going to overwork, then financial stuff is kind of the, the, the thing that you will have to do and figuring out how to do that well, if that's the way the Lord is leading you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very important perspective to bring into this. And Lee, I'd love to get you to close us out here. Uh, Glenn pointed to something that Jed brought up initially, which I think is a very important point here. And that is more looking at of uh, there's always going to have to be a balance uh-huh. here. Yeah. And we mean that through in the sense of a work-life balance. But the way that is achieved, which is very unpopular to say, is prioritization and cutting things loose. There must mm-hmm. be. Uh, I think part of what our friends are looking to here is there's only so many hours a day and the human uh, mind can only do so right. much. So there needs to be on some level, a kind of one in one out situation as Glenn is pointing out. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I pick up another, you know, a big project, that's going to be another 10 hours to my work week. There's stuff I cannot sure. do. Mm-hmm. And is that worth making that balance? So as we look at how we make these decisions, what do we look to as we're listening to the Lord about making those individual decisions that make up our larger attitude? Well, that's this? a really cool way to ask the question. I think I, I I can tell you one thing that I think holds a lot of people back from being able to hear from the Lord on this, because that's that's one thing I really liked about your question is just the idea of if I'm going to if I'm going to figure out what goes and what stays, I really need to get a sense from the Lord of what it is He's calling me to, what it is my role is at this point in my life. And I think if there's anything to for my money, if there's anything that holds people back more than anything else. Uh, from hearing what the Lord says, it's the optics. In other words, what does it look like to other people? Yes, um, yes. Take that road. So man. here's the deal. It's like <clears throat> somebody might feel like, well, um, you know, I have a certain amount of education or something like that, and as people look at my life, if I'm not capitalizing on that, then they think I'm a failure or something like that. Yes. Well, we can't listen to stuff like that because we can't make the we can't follow the Lord in any way if if we're if we care about what anybody else thinks about the way it looks. Um, and, uh, but on the other side of that, as you're saying, Matt, the, what if the Lord, if the Lord is using your, you know, your generous donation to get stuff done and he's calling you into a, into a certain lifestyle or into a certain job or something like that, where you have some, some resources to, you know, that, that you can really get some stuff done with. And somebody else might say, dude, you're working too much and you need to get out there and get your hands dirty and stuff like that. Well, you can't worry about what that brother thinks about the way your life looks either. And so if we're going to listen to the Lord, the first thing that we've got to figure out how to cut out is what do other people think about my life, my job, my money, the way all that looks. If we can start to, uh, be disinterested in the optics, then we can really start to learn to listen to the Lord. We can really start to get a sense of what he's calling us into, what he's asking us to do. And you start with little things. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you come into a little money you weren't expecting, or you come into some time, like Glenn said, you come into some vacation time, or you come into some extra, you know, a trip opens up or something like that, and you talk to the Lord about it. What, what do you want me to do with this? You start there. Just you start with little stuff, and you start to see if you can, if you can respond to the Lord in little things. Maybe he brings something to your attention, or he brings some little need up or something like that, and it coordinates with that extra little money you came into, or it coordinates with that extra little piece of time that you came into. So we start to, we start to triangulate these signals and, and learn to listen to the Lord in little stuff, and that's going to help us figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, you know, day to day, minute by minute, little piece by piece. But I can't get any kind of sense of that if the number one thing that I think is, what do other people think this looks like? And that's, and that's, the, that's the first thing that we got to cut out if we're going to, because really what we're essentially asking is, how do I start to care about what the Lord thinks this looks like? Um, and so we've, we, we've got to cut the, the optics piece out, and then we can really start to get a balance of, and, and really start to learn what it, what it looks like and feels like to follow the Lord's voice on this stuff. That is a really fantastic point. I think that really is what it says about this whole thing. There's another part of this as you're trying to figure that out, as you're trying to follow that, as Lee talked about people coming up with uh, decisions that are based on optics. There's also what follows out of some of that, that sometimes you probably got to touch on, is rationale. That is someone who has made a decision without any kind of listening to the Lord and is now trying to backtrack that into a Jesus-y way. 
And are there some people in the world who, you know, being really successful at their job is a uh, a part of their work testimony? Just maybe, I guess that could be a thing. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who, as was pointing out here in the pews on Sunday morning, who want to think that them getting a promotion is the most important thing they can do for the kingdom because then other people see that Jesus gets you promotions and people right. want to come to this church because this is the church that the people with the promotions come to. And all that does go exactly to what Lee is pointing to as his optics. So as you're going through your own decision-making in these things, that's something to point out. Anything that's on the level of, well, people will be impressed or right. I would feel bad if I didn't. And that's certainly a warning sign, but you also want to investigate things to see if you get to that point. Say, I think it would be a really powerful uh, story about, you know, if I can do this, well, think that through. Now we have guys who, who come to our bridge service. And I'm, I know that Lee has guys who's worked with jobs come to through triple C that actually them getting a full-time job. That's like with benefits and stuff. That's a huge testimony because they went from being someone with a felony record who was on drugs to that. If they're willing right. to go back and meet guys who are where they were, that actually is a huge thing. And we tell right. them that we say, you get in this job and working that and being consistent can have a huge impact. If everybody, you know, has a post graduate degree and has a great job, that may not be as powerful a, a differentiator as is possible. But again, we're not, as we, I'll end this exactly where, Judge started to stop. This is not about hard and fast rules. This is about you having a role, a continuously changing role and an evolving role of what God wants you to do in this place. And it's about getting to the kind of pulling out all that noise so you can get the signal of what he's actually trying to tell you. I'm going to move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, My boyfriend wants to cohabitate before getting married. I don't want to do so. I don't believe that I could live with him without having sex, as it would be a massive temptation for both of us. As a girl, I also wonder what happens if I fail the test period. I'm starting to wonder if his love is conditional since he wants to get married, but he seems scared to commit. I'm not sure if this is a hopeless cause or what arguments I can use to change his mind. Your advice would be appreciated. And uh, Glenn, let's let's start off with you on this one. There, there's a fair amount going on here, but I think there's some, even if it's not cohabitation necessarily, there's some relationship dynamics we, we would want to everyone to be wary of that are coming up in this question, right? For sure. I mean, there's uh, there's a, an assumption that living with someone before you married is uh, like uh, having a, a a trial marriage or something. Test drive is the yeah. analogy you'll often hear. Yeah, and uh, that is in no way how it works. And and I should know. I've yeah. I've, I've been down that road in my own life uh, in, in, before I was married. Uh, well, and to back up your anecdotal evidence, as if you look at the blog post on this, I've linked to a bunch of them. They've done a bunch of studies on this, mm-hmm. and there are some older ones that people like focus on the family, whatever, cherry pick, say, aha, it inevitably leads to divorce. And they went back and looked at that, and the best they can come up with for any study as far as this having a positive effect on a relationship is it might not have a negative effect Right. On an eventual marriage, living together. Yeah, it's it's just not indicative of what marriage mm-hmm. is like. It, it's just a different uh, animal altogether. And uh, so, first of all, that's that's right out. It, and that's that's the thinking of someone who's never been married, uh, thinking that that that's a, a good way of testing that out. Uh, you said you you uh, you want to find an argument that you can use to change his mind. Uh, here's another idea. Tell him yeah, no. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Now he may decide that that's that he doesn't want to have any relationship. Then, based on that, but that's a good place to draw a line that's in the right. sand. Sure. And I think you're exactly right. Can you walk us through that? Go a little deeper on that because I think maybe people, especially, don't have a lot of relationship experience. There is this concept that all healthy relationship stuff is a you know. One person starts at zero, one person starts at ten, and we meet at a five. Right. There's some things like that. There's some things where, as you're pointing out, it's super not, and that is not a virtuous thing. That's right. I, I think you're you're. It's about recognizing uh, some ideas are just yeah. bad, mm-hmm. so that's it. You know, it's it. That's not. You know, it, it, taking a good idea and a bad idea and going fifty fifty on that, you actually have a bad idea with that. That's you haven't gotten to a good idea on that. And you haven't compromised, really. You—that's not 
that's not what that is. Uh, what you're both looking for is what is the best possible solution here, and that's you're not you're not getting near that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, having ha- uh, having something that splits the difference between two different ideas, uh, your uh, lack of desire to draw a hard line on this, and his, uh, you know, uh, uh, fear of commitment and unwillingness to commit. Uh, there, there is no fifty-fifty <laughs> yeah, between yeah. that. It's something really good. So compromise isn't the word here. Uh, this is a bad idea, and it's based on a weakness. You know, the weakness is a fear of commitment. Uh, your your uh, uh, fear is is just as much a part of that, of course, in in terms of your lack of willingness to confront him on that. Uh, is the same thing on your side. So that, you know, if you're looking for where's the 50-50 is we both need to work on our weaknesses. That 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 would be the, the place to meet in the middle uh, and admitting what those things are. Uh, one other quick thing is I send it around to these other fellows. Uh, you, you say that uh, you're not sure if you could live with them without having sex. And um, I, I think that's, uh, well, you know yourself better than I know you, so I couldn't tell you on that. I think it's conceivable that one could do that, but it's still a bad idea. Uh, part of the reason why that's a bad idea is it looks like that's exactly what you mm-hmm. are doing. That would be yeah. a reasonable assumption for other people to make. And um, the Bible says we should put off even the appearance of evil, and this is part of what that's talking about. Romans fourteen sixteen says, Therefore do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. Now, of course, you can't control 100% what other people say about what you do, but you can uh, avoid tempting them into thinking something is going wrong there. And that's important. It's important to have, as we were just talking about in the last question, having a good witness to the Christian community is is a meaningful and important thing. So uh, I think overall, we have sort of one one weakness we've constructed a bad idea based on a weakness and that bad idea is spawning other bad ideas so it's more about confronting the weakness yeah that's i think that's exactly the right way to start off on this and lee i'd love to get you to pick us up there and this is not so much a weakness thing but there again it goes to this point of this is not necessarily about uh, having the right. argument to rectify things this is about looking at what a growing relationship, actually the healthy arc of a growing relationship is. Now, secularly, um, even though there's not a lot of evidentiary basis for it, a lot of people would say you you date, then you date exclusively, mm-hmm. then you move in together, then you get a dog, whatever the crap it is, and then <laughs> maybe maybe at the end you get married, if that's your thing. Yeah. Um, but let's let's give this a look of the person that's talking about, which is interesting to me, saying that my boyfriend wants to get married but seems scared to commit. These would seem to be um, uh, conflicting ideals. Right. But I don't I don't think that this is that's necessarily crazy. So from someone who does a lot of young folks, a lot of premarital counseling, let's can you walk us through the arc of a healthy moving from dating relationship to committed dating relationship to marriage without uh, maybe some of those signposts that if you just watch movies you would think there are. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting way to come at that. So when uh you know the for christians for a lot of for a lot of christians that don't have a lot of dating experience they assume that the ark is i meet someone uh angels begin to sing we uh we we court and then and then we have marriage and and it's it's amazing and of course that doesn't make a lot of sense either um and uh and and it isn't really anybody's experience either what really ends up happening is a lot of you you know you're you're supposed to date folks a lot of folks find out what in relationships you suck at and what things in relationships you can't tolerate or you don't want in a relationship that you're in and then you get to know somebody and then if you really start clicking with somebody and then you learn what it means to forbear and forgive and move towards each other and that whole kind of thing as as this whole situation gets more and more serious you figure out what it means to be in a committed relationship over time, and you don't have to do the cohabitation thing to do that. Um, it would be wise to live in the same city. Um, it would be wise to get to know each other through a long period of time, through your different, you know, different seasons of your work year and stuff like that. 
But there's another thing going on in this question um, that that really bothers me from the top, which is if if you're in a relationship with somebody that you're saying you want to be married to, and you have clearly expressed, I'm uncomfortable with something, and yet they want to proceed anyway, then we have a massive disrespect issue. Um, and that's something that we can't go forward with. Um, if somebody is saying, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this, and then you feel it's incumbent on you to come up with enough reasons to convince them of that, well, in a, in a healthy, committed relationship, the other person should say, if you're not comfortable, then I'm not going to keep pushing you on this, especially if, you know, nine out of 10 people that we know, secular or whatever, would say, this is a bad idea, especially if we are, I mean, if, if this person is saying, I, I, I don't want to do this, well, that's where I stop pushing you. If, if we are not, if we are in a healthy relationship at all, we have a, we have a dignity and respect problem. Uh, aside from whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea, we don't have any, any kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, just, uh, the, the kind of respect that says, I'm not going to try to argue with you or push you on something that you're not ready to do in, in our relationship. And this is the, this is the whole thing where it's, it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, where, where Glenn is saying, um, from the top, uh, you know, you don't have to have all these, all these right reasons. I mean, we can give you the, the scientific, like these guys are saying, there's, there's been papers published and all that kind of stuff. We can give you that, but you don't have to have that. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do it, period, the end. And this doesn't have to be the person that you are in a relationship with. And this is the whole thing is one of the things that, and I wish people valued this a little bit more. There is nothing wrong with breaking up with someone. And, th- and here's the weird thing. That may not be the end of your relationship. It may be the fire that you light under somebody so that they understand, I am a person who deserves respect. And if, if you want to, if you want to uh, figure out how to, how to respect me and how to, how to give me the dignity of making my choices and stuff like that, then we can come back and talk about this. But uh, I think people are so afraid of being alone that they want to make every single they, they want to make every single compromise make every single relationship work because there's nothing scarier than a breakup and the truth is a breakup is not that scary of a thing it's it is a good thing it's a normal thing and it's something that you ought to try especially if somebody is not respecting a choice that you're making where you're saying I don't want to do this mm-hmm. that's a really fantastic point and it ties into something that Jed love to get you close out on, which is this Lee is tied to this idea of fear and Glenn mentioned that as well. I think there is something going on here of what, if we want to give the boyfriend the benefit of the doubt, sure. Um, which I don't know we're particularly inclined to do given the reasons uh, Lee just lined out, but if we wanted to, sure. or you have someone who wants to do a cohabitation, uh, benefit of the doubt, it does seem like part of the, the impetus to do that is to try in their mind to reduce the risk yeah. that this marriage isn't going to work out yeah. by getting all sorts of information. And I think the main problem with that is, is one is, as Glenn pointed out, marriage is a whole different beast. It's just going to be a different thing. So that risk is inherent. So what do we do to A, address that fear going forward that this is a big risk so that we can stare that in the face as opposed to making bad decisions trying to avoid it? I love that question. Well, I think that there are, for most people, there are two key things they're afraid of. Uh, thing number one is, what if it turns out this person is just a total psycho? <laughs> you know, what if, you know, the ring goes on the finger and we wake up the next morning and it's just, they're just a huge, huge, huge weirdo and just a huge psycho. And the answer to that is they are. And so are you. Because <laughs> uh, that's, that's all we've got. Uh, here on here on planet Earth, we have nothing but weirdos and psychos. Amen. So, the, to be clear, there is a difference between normal psycho and um, being committed to the loony bin slash being violent psycho. We're talking about normal psycho here. We're talking about normal psycho, and I'm glad you you, you specified that. If you've been dating someone for more than a few months, um, if they're a loony bin psycho, you've yeah, probably you noticed. There, there, <laughs> it, you're not going to move in with someone you thought was normal and there be a refrigerator full of human heads in yeah. all likelihood. That's not really a thing. 
So what you're going to find out is, again, leaving aside the uh, American Psycho stuff, they are a weirdo. That's definitely going to be a discovery that you're going to make. And so are you. And the two of you have to figure out how do we love each other and support each other and challenge each other on the airs where, where we need to grow. Let's be weirdos together. Let's be weirdos together. Uh, as Glenn is fond of saying, right, so all marriages start as disasters. Um, and we have to yep. work together and, and dig our way out. And, and this is, to be crystal clear, there's no trick you can pull that will get you out of that. Right. <laughs> uh, if you... But prayer? Nope. But books? Nope. <laughs> Definitely um, not books. I'm out of ideas then. If you want to have a long-term, committed, monogamous relationship, which if you're going to have that, why not call it a marriage? Um, then that's going to involve recognizing you're both huge weirdos. This is a disaster and we have to build it together into something worth having. There's no way to avoid right. that process. The other thing that people are generally afraid of is the sex piece. Um, how do we know that we're sexually compatible? Um, uh, that's a great question. And I think what's interesting about it is the question itself belies a misunderstanding of how right. sex works. Um on a physical level, you both have genitalia. Um, uh, everybody who listens to this podcast has seen enough internet pornography to know how those pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's not really any risk on that. Um, uh, I imagine you are at least somewhat hot for each other or you wouldn't be dating. So it's not really that. So the, the third thing that it leaves is just, will we be satisfied with our sex life? Well, the answer to that uh, boils down to an if. If you are willing to communicate with one another, if you are willing to work at it, yeah. if you are willing to make changes, mm -hmm. if you are willing to try things, if you are willing to debrief things, then yeah. yes, you'll have a fantastically satisfying sex life yeah, that you absolutely. both feel great about. If you're not willing to do those things I just described, then the answer is no, you will not have a great satisfying sex life. Right, right. And this is the thing. Cohabitation can't tell you anything opposite to that. Uh, a good sex life boils down to communication and work. That's what it boils down to. Um, could you begin that process during a cohabitation period? You could, but here's the thing. We're going to move in together, embrace that we're both weirdos, start working on that, uh, embrace that we need to communicate and work really hard you know, at our sex life. Then why aren't you just getting married first? <laughs> right. I mean – at a certain point, you know, I mean, we want it to be everything that a marriage would be in super good, but we just don't want it. We don't want to go to a justice of the peace first. Right. For for what reason exactly? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, you know, it, at a certain point, this this runs aground. But again, I think most people, Matt, to answer your question, they're, they're afraid. What if they're a weirdo? They are. So are you. You have to work through this. Will the sex be good? It will be good if you work at it. No amount of cohabitating changes right. those two variables. At a certain point, we got to jump in and commit to do the work. That's right. Lee, have one more thing I just, to You know, Jed, I just thought that the sex automatically was good just because we love Jesus. Yeah, that is in no way true. Not not even Doesn't a he bit. owe us and this, Jed? Doesn't he owe us this? He super doesn't. And if you've read that in a book somewhere, you need to go demand a refund immediately. Not so much from a book. That's from my real life conversation Lee had with someone I know. Oh boy. That's his heart. Okay, we move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our email address. It says, My wife had a very rough childhood. She's getting the medication and care she needs for the first time in her life. That's all great, and it's been incredible to see how much she's grown and overcome her many struggles. Meanwhile, I've grown more patient, more understanding, and better at drawing boundaries. We have both overcome so much. However, we're both so tired. I'm terrified, and she is terrified that we'll just discover some horrible thing next week and start up in survival mode mm. again. What do we do? Excellent question. And Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off here. And let's, there's a lot going on yeah. here, but I think the thing I would love first to focus on, at least as we start out, is this idea of survival mode. Because that was, we're not here to condemn right. that. That is a necessity when you're going through a traumatic thing or dealing with traumatic things. But there does come a moment when we need to transition out of yeah. that into something more sustainable. And the failure to do that, while understandable, as our friend is pointing out here, because it does, it can't always feel like there's another shoe about to drop, but to not transition out of survival mode is not healthy and we can't get where we're going. So Lee, how would, how would you uh, talk someone into making those first steps? Well, uh, the first thing is we want to say we're super proud of you guys for where you've gotten so far. Um, getting the help you need, um, learning and growing and learning how to take care of each other and all that kind of stuff and walking each other as a team through this difficult time. That's all amazing. Um, so let, let's let's celebrate some big W's, some big wins on that. That's that's awesome stuff. Um, but I think uh, to to Matt's question specifically, 
the uh, the the survival mode thing that can be dangerous um, because the, and the thing that can be dangerous about it is that when you're in the middle of a crisis, the way that you are tempted to feel is that all energy at all times, without you know, without any cessation whatsoever, must go into solving the crisis. Um, and what is actually true, and what we find is, even in the midst of a quote-unquote survival mode or crisis mode, whatever, we still need to learn how to have balance. We still need to learn how to take care of each other. Yes, That's sir. all super important. So just as a, just as kind of an illustration, uh, just some stuff is going on with, with, with Christy and me and our family as far as our house. And it, in, in order to get things where they need to be, it's going to take a lot of man hours. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of, a lot of stuff in order for us to get back to a state of normalcy. And the temptation is to feel like from the moment I wake up in the morning until the moment I go to sleep at night, I need to be in that house working on stuff all the time around the clock. And I probably shouldn't eat and I probably shouldn't sleep because that's how much work there is to do. But the truth is you need to decide how much you can get done in a day, what's reasonable, and then you need to chill. You need to eat good food. You need to take care of each other. Make sure that there are times when a person gets to sleep in, take naps, go hang out with some friends, even go watch a movie. This is the thing. Even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of recovery, even in the midst of of survival mode or crisis mode, whatever you're going to call it, people need friends. They need downtime. They need some entertainment. They need to relax. They need to eat dessert. Like they... All of these things must be happening. And the deal is, is that you have to be intentional. And if you can do that, if you can be intentional uh, intentional about balance, then you can take care of each other. You can make sure the other person has the rest they need, the sleep that they need, the food that they need, the, uh, the friend time that they need, the uh, uncoil and debrief conversation time that they need, that kind of stuff. That will actually energize the process of getting where you need to go faster. Because if you just burn on all cylinders all the time for the crisis or for this this thing that you're going through, you will burn out so fast. You will be more tired and you will not get as far as if you learn how to have balance in the middle of that crisis mode. But it takes intentionality. It takes being honest about how you're feeling and what it is you need. And what would be helpful and good and relaxing for you, even in the midst of that crisis? Amen. Absolutely right. I think that's a perfect way to start this off. And Joe, I'd love to go to you on this because there's a, uh, the, a very real fear. A friend pointed out at the end of the question here, which is we're both terrified that something horrible is going to happen next week and uh, we'll have to deal with that. Um, the truth of it is uh, almost certainly something horrible will happen next week. Yeah. Uh, maybe not as horrible as the thing before, but something horrible because that's the world we live in. Um, but certainly survival mode now will not prevent that. Right. And it's possible that even going back into survival mode because of that isn't the only option. So yep. what do what do we look at as a strategy for when that next bad thing happens? That's a great question. Uh I want to repeat what Lee said. We're really proud of you. You know, I mean yep. to 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 as a couple and this <clears throat> actually ties back to our previous question, to face hard things together and to face them as a team and to and to figure out how do we support yeah. each other and do what we need to do here. Man, that's really good work. That's really strong. That's really powerful. Um, and I get the idea of we're just exhausted and we, it was a all hands on deck, you know, uh, red alert situation. And man, we just, I don't think we have any more of those in us. You know, we're just, we're spent. And I could definitely relate to that. The thing of it is something you said, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, I'm terrified we'll discover some horrible thing next week. Well, I don't know if you'll discover something horrible, but something bad will definitely happen next week. Something bad always happens. That's, you know, that's, that's just a very unpopular book from Dr. Jed Brewer. (laughs) Exactly right. Something bad always happens. That's my least favorite Dr. Seuss book. Exactly right. (laughs) Something bad always happens. (laughs) <laughs> one fish two fish red fish dead fish <laughs> so it could be big it could be small but something bad is coming that's all all right here's the thing is something bad will happen whether you need to be in survival mode to address it 
Here's the weird thing, and I need you to hear me all the way out on this, is a choice. This is the odd thing. Going into crisis mode, going into survival mode is a choice that you and your spouse make together. And most of the time, it's the wrong choice. Um, There are very few things in life, if we're going to be honest, where it is, this is life or death. Mm-hmm. This If we don't solve this immediately, the whole thing goes down in flames. There are actually very few things that work. Through. There are some, and we need to be clear when they arise. But most of the time, when something really icky happens, what we need to recognize is exactly what Lee articulated, which is to say, this is a crappy thing that we wish we did not have to deal with. We do have to deal with it. We need to work together to map out what our response looks like and what our solution looks like. And then we need to work together to map out the pace of that response. Very few problems can be solved or addressed in one felt swoop. Very, very few. The the vast majority of problems in life, we got to do a little bit today and we got to do a little bit tomorrow and we've got to keep going for the next six months and, and ultimately we'll get there. And as Lee pointed to in his answer, if we go into crisis mode on that, if we go into survival mode on that, we will make everything worse. We will come up with a less smart answer We will come up with something that's more resource intensive as the plan. We will pursue it in a way that is less balanced. Our odds of having a successful outcome are lower because we're doing everything in in a less good way. I think the thing that you guys should take great comfort in is you know you can handle a hard push. You know that you can have something bad happen and you can handle it together as a team and make it to the other side. I think the thing you want to build on now and add to that is how do we learn to handle as a team and not be completely freaked out and frayed at the edges when we get to the other side? That's actually the next step. How do we survive it not in survival mode? How do we say this is a part of life? You know, we got to roll with the punches. We got to let it be water off our backs. There's steps for us to take. But how do we keep going? That's just, that's the next level. And you guys, if you've done the first stuff, you can do that. Um, The truth is, as you learn how to do that, you get to a place where you just become unshakable. Um, It's just, it's very difficult to to mess you up. And that's a place of great strength. It's hard to get to, but it's worth getting to. And we're proud of you and we've got your back. Absolutely. I think that's a really important point to fold into this and all very good stuff on that. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close up by going back to maybe the, the larger point of um, walking us through those, because whether it's a marriage, whether it's this kind of past trauma stuff, everybody has had moments, as Jed pointed out, in crisis mode. Right. Um, it is harder to, sh- I think part of the assumption the first time you go into that is that once the crisis passes, crisis mode shall naturally go with it. <laughs> right. But we actually have to actively transition yeah. out of that. So yes. walk us through uh, the, kind of that first day out of the crisis is solved. Uh, what's the first step back towards real life? Well, I think the, the, the first step is really orienting yourself on and sort of deciding what did we just come mm. through. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think these brothers are giving us a great illustration of how to think about that, because you, you have to kind of put the past in a box in order to put it back on the shelf and move forward to, to real life today. Give me a real quick, a concrete illustration of, of this whole thing. I um, uh, was working with a guy. He was locked up in jail. Uh, he had a drug charge, uh, and the state's attorney signaled that if the guy was willing to go to rehab, they would they would take that as a, as, a, as a deal and go to the judge, and the judge would sentence him to rehab, and then he would do that in order to avoid jail time. Um, and so he came to me and he said, I, I need to find an institution, and I gave him a couple of places. And he said, well, I called these, these two particular places. One is sort of quick, it's easy, there's not many restrictions, you're done faster, it's loosey-goosey, and probably won't help me at all with my addiction, really. The other Turns one turns out Lucy Goosey is not the best strategy for overcoming heroin addiction. That, that's right, exactly. The other one is strict. I mean, the the I called the guy and he said, "When you come in at night, I will smell your breath." That's what's going on here, and there's peeing in a cup, and there's a whole thing, and it's a you know, uh, and it's a longer term, and it's tougher, and it's you know, this is a whole thing, and 
I'm really thinking of picking the first one that's super easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. And I went through the reasons why that was a bad idea. Well, here's what happened. Uh, he went and picked the one that was the tougher program, to his credit. He went through it with flying colors. He did great in the program. And uh, he's, he's, I'm at his graduation when he's winding up, and he and I are sitting down and talking. He's like, I don't know if I'm ready to get out. And I said, wait a second, weren't you the guy that didn't even think you needed to do this in the first place? He says, yeah, but I know so much more now than I did before. What he's saying is, I, I, I overcame all these pitfalls to get where I am. And I look back and they all look like close calls. So how many more close calls do I have ahead of me? The other thing he's looking at is... Uh, that that he didn't see those the, you know he didn't see those problems coming. The other thing he's looking at is um, he felt like he barely had enough to 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 accomplish each of those each of those things. So there's a you can get sort of a little bit of a fear and a paranoia moving forward of like you know how many more of these things can I take and and won't I eventually be caught up in that and what have you. But as I addressed that with him, I said you know and I, I would say this definitely to you about your marriage. It's about uh, recognizing what has happened. Okay, you, this marriage started off as a busted, broken down donkey cart. I mean, there was as all marriages as do. All marriages do. You had all these challenges, but in order to overcome each of these challenges, you had to get stronger. You had to get tougher. You had to get smarter. So it's like this this donkey cart has evolved into this mighty battle tank. It can take a hit and keep going. And it can hit back. It can it can strike back against those things that are trying to take you out. This is amazing. Also, this mighty battle tank is out of gas. Yep. That's the only thing that you are looking at. That's the thing you're yeah. feeling. And that's that's and here's the thing: is it's out of gas because it's been doing the battling, and so that's fine. It's just about putting gas in that tank. Mm-hmm. So really, that thing of getting out of crisis mode is refueling, uh, having an attitude of of uh, looking at balance, looking at uh, how do I have enough of the resources that I need to keep going. Uh, the, you're, 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 also, you're talking a lot about this amazing journey. There's a lot of spiritual Christian celebration on this. I'm very skeptical about it. Uh, this was a sucky journey. It was amazing that, that you transformed into this amazing battle tank, but th- this was a tough, tough negative thing. And uh, trying to uh, sort of make it seem like this great, amazing story that you can tell one day is a way of trying to gloss over it. And when you gloss over it and you look at how tired you are, then you feel like there's something wrong with you that you're that tired. So it's better to look at peace, I think, is super, super, super important. Uh, and then, you know, gas in the tank, strength and stability. What can we do to stabilize? What can we do to uh, build the strength into everything that we're doing, have that peace, have that, that balance and everything? That's absolutely right. I think that the tank analogy is is right on. And part of to, to the kind of looking back on it and how you should look back on it, I think that's a very important point. One of the things that I think can get people a little twisted about crisis mode is this idea of it was it's kind of a fog of war thing with it was well, but we grew so much and I learned so much. And the, as you're, as Glenn is pointing out here, a kind of false equating how hard it was with how much you learned. That's not really true. It's so, and that can contribute to the desire to not necessarily come out of crisis mode and that this is some kind of super cauldron in which this awesome thing was forged. No, there was something really crappy in front of you and you pushed through it and learned a lot from that. That's totally true. As Jed starts out with, you can do that outside of crisis mode. Yep. There are definitely times where it is, as Jed pointed out, they're not, they're few and far between. But there are times where it is that down the hatches, we will deal with this. Uh, cut to Glenn's analogy, we will run this thing until the wheels fall off it because we just have to get out of here. And then we'll figure out gas later on. Much more, much smarter if you can, if no one's chasing you, than to <laughs> stop and refuel when you need it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of what the normal, the normalcy we're talking about here. It doesn't mean growth ends. It doesn't mean you stop dealing with your stuff. It means you get to a point of stability where you can stop having to shut everything down to deal with this particular yeah. thing. That's a, it's a good thing. And if stuff pops back up, as Jed pointed out, that you now have an active decision of, 
can we keep the can we deal with this as the normal rhythm's life or do we have to some level of shut other stuff down to focus on that's no problem if that's what is required but part of i think glenn makes a very important point there that we're going to close on part of transitioning out of these kind of intense periods is not getting caught up in the drama of those things as if that's inherently a good part of it. It wasn't. There's a certain adrenaline that comes up when you do stuff like that, but you can get the same amount of growth in a sustainable way in most situations. Uh, excellent question. We appreciate all of our questions. If you want to write into us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're taking out the song this week. This is from our August edition of Bridgebox. It actually ties in a lot of what we're talking about in that question right there. This is a reworking of the classic hymn, It Is Well, by our friend, the pool house guru. Yeah. We're going to take out that. Thanks for Ooh. listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Armaments two, nine, three shall be the number thou shalt count. And the number of counting <laughs> shall be three. Five is right out. <laughs> when peace like a river, I dance my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll.